Good evening, sports fans, and welcome to the fifth edition of the Brad and Avery Hour. I'm Brad Barco alongside, as always, my co-host, Avery Lewis McDougall. And tonight we have a very special guest live in this beautiful studio of at Atlas Steakhouse, Mr. Tom Gazzola. Tom, uh, thanks for joining us and coming down. Buddy, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure being with you guys. Look at this. This is beautiful. This room is beautiful. They, uh, they're they closed, but they're open just for you guys. So, just for you guys. VIPs. So I feel uh, privileged and honored to be here with you guys today. Exactly. Of course, Tom, for those of you who don't know who you are, give us a little bio about yourself. For those of you who don't know your work in sports media. Everybody uh, knows Tom. No, no. <laughs> I wish that was true. Uh, well, I used to be the host of Oilers TV for eight seasons, and uh, that's probably the Coles Notes version of it. Um, uh not with the Oilers anymore, Oilers TV, and now I'm, uh, you catch me on uh, TSN 1260 starting uh, this week, um, filling in there. I've also filled in for Rashog on TSN, nice. so uh, yeah, a little bit of work with TSN. We'll see where the next full-time thing takes us, but uh, things are looking good. So if people are wondering who this guy is with the glasses, I'm a TV guy. Uh, from Edmonton, Northside boy. I don't know if any of you guys are from the Northside. West End. No, West, End. West End. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Northside Italian kid, and uh, yeah. So I, I anchored sports on CTV a long time ago. Um, Can't be that long. You're eight years. Eight years. Yeah, I'm 25. <laughs> 32 going on 25, boys. So uh, yeah. So that's what uh, my bio is, and um, here we are. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. What do you enjoy doing more, TV or radio? In your person, in your mind. Um. They're both fun. They're actually both fun. And, I mean, this will be my first time in the host chair on radio, which is interesting, a bit scary, too, um, because I'm used to coming in and being a guest like this. Right. And just uh, shooting the breeze and, and kind of filling time. But now it's my turn to, to come up with all the questions, which is not something that's uh, new to me whatsoever, absolutely. But... Now I have to fill those 10-15 minute segments with uh, relevant content and uh, I'll have to have uh, some planning ahead of time. I'll work with uh, Hernan Salas. Uh, you guys know Hernan? Yeah. yeah so I'll work with him and uh, I'll be leaning on him quite a bit. But ultimately, I mean, TV is my bread and butter. That's what I, I got into. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I think I excelled. But radio is fun too. Both, both sides of it are fun. The one thing I haven't done is written. I haven't really written anything, and I think I could do it. Yeah. I've never been tested. But when I when I look at your question, Avery, I enjoy TV. Like I find it fun because uh, not only are you trying to provide content, you're trying to fill time, and mm. you're you're on the clock. But say something isn't going as planned, or say uh, you've hit a rough patch in an interview or a segment. Right. right. People can see it. It's true. So you gotta be on it's the like ball. Right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people can see it, and uh, and so that's where there's to me that challenge of okay, you gotta be good, you gotta keep it going, you gotta keep it going, you gotta stay on top of things. Right. Whereas I think in radio, people can't see if you're, you know, you're hitting the the cough button and you're trying to yell at somebody to get mm. something done. So there's a little bit of uh, mystery behind radio that on TV you can't hide behind anything, but because the camera catches it all. So that's what. I like about TV, but both of them are actually pretty fun. So, I yeah. mean, let's look back for a minute. And, you know, you were with the Oilers for a very long time. A long time. Uh, what what kind of did that experience help you grow? And, and helping, did, did it kind of 
I guess help you move into this new chapter now with with TSN and filling in and yeah, I'd say so. You know what? I was uh, a pretty young broadcaster when I got that job. I was 24. I'm only <laughs> a year older now, as you guys pointed out. Thank you very yeah, much. Um, and I had just left CTV Edmonton, where I was filling in, doing sports in the summer. And uh, I had two years under my belt anchoring news in Lloyd Minster, which was good. That was yeah. good. But where the Oilers job was different was I didn't have a script anymore. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have a teleprompter and a script and papers in front of me in case I I missed my cue or something like that. Right. I didn't have something to fall back on. It was live. It was all me writing it. Um, so it challenged me. And and you've got like I remember being uh, pretty new to it, but I'd, I'd been around the team in 2007, 2008, 2008, 2009, and 2009, 2010. With the score, do you guys remember the score? Yes, very much. So. I worked for the score as well, and um, so I was familiar with the team. But that position with Oilers TV, like I was the guy, and and that to me was it felt like uh, a big burden, you know. Right. And so I, I made mistakes. I still made mistakes, and I was still a young broadcaster. Right. I only had a couple years under my belt, and uh, I got nervous. And, and uh, you know, there's two ways you can go when you get to that situation. Right. You can either fail or you can learn from your mistakes and get better and not make them again. Right. And you got to be headstrong, as you guys have probably learned doing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get better and grow. And, you know, it took some time. You know, fans didn't really know who I was or care to know who I was. They would right. call me out on things. As you know what, that's fine. Yeah. And but it opinions was opinions are opinions. Yeah, right. and it's like when I went to broadcast school, you guys went to Nate, you took mm-hmm. RTA. Yeah. Chris Durham, shout out to him. Uh, one of the first <laughs> things he said was, um, who here wants to be on air? And you know, everybody in the class puts up their arms. Of course. And um, and he goes, Well great. Um, maybe, you know, one third of you will make it on air. And whoever does make it, just keep in mind, half the people that are watching, listening, or reading you already hate you, no matter who you are. (laughs) And maybe the other half don't mind you, and they're okay with you. So, so, I mean, there was kind of, in my first couple years, there was a little bit of that, but then I think the fans and the viewers got used to me, and and as I started to grow and the content got got a lot better, our production value went up. it, it became more reliable to the fans. We became a good source of information for them. Uh, we were always up to the minute. We were always the quickest to get things out. And uh, I think we became a go-to destination at Oilers TV for Oilers information, which is something that makes perfect sense, right? Right. And, uh, and then, you know, so after I got out of my shell, working with Bob and Jack was another oh, big thing because yeah. uh, Jack and I got hired the same week by the Oilers him to much more fanfare obviously is the guy replacing right. rod phillips i go into a new position nobody knows what it is right. and um and then of course was bob stoffer who's a character in himself right. yes. you know yes. and and so there was a, an adjustment period there where bob jack and, and i had to get used to working with one another and it wasn't always easy breezy you know you all everybody's got a personality especially in this business right and uh and then eventually you know we became buddies and and learned how to work with one another and built chemistry together and uh and then it developed and grew and then as my confidence went up our you know what we did was better my um relationship with the players coaches and management got better and you get more stuff from them you know you try to get a little bit more stuff or better answers if you will because they trusted you or they relied on you to be someone who wouldn't 
necessarily obviously you're working for the team so you're not cutting them up of course right but there's when the team's bad there's ways of saying it without yeah. taking without out their knives and bad. using you know <laughs> oh why were you so brutal tonight you can't say that no. and, and if you do that to a player even if you're working for a tsn or a sports net uh or a newspaper guys remember that and and yeah. they have feeling like people don't don't like hearing this but these guys are they're athletes they're pro athletes that make a ton of money but they're also people exactly and they, they do have feelings and they remember things yeah. and if you, if you approach something or you take shots at them they remember right. well if whether if they read it or hear it or not or it comes back to them secondhand they remember so you want to build trust with them and exactly so of course you, you, you be critical but not be rude is what you're absolutely. saying absolutely yes. Chris Westcott you said you have the best hair in the business <laughs> yeah there's Westcott there's my buddy how's Chicago Chris yeah he's it's raining here I, I was soaked on my way over because I live not far from the arena, and okay. uh, I got wet. Did not bring an umbrella, boys. <laughs> oh. Not smart. Westcott's in Chicago, I'm sure. What are you doing? Having an Americano right now, Chris? Philly cheesesteak? Philly cheesesteak. Look at the geography. Unbelievable. Oh, Barco, you need to travel, man. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Still love you, Westcott. It's all good. Beautiful. <laughs> but let's... Uh, have you have you ever thought of? I mean, you you only really work for the Oilers. Have you ever thought of maybe you know doing what Westcott did, went to the Oilers, and then you know maybe branch out to Chicago, or or or, or is this your roots? Do you want to stay home? Yeah. Is this kind of where you want to be? You know what? It is home, but um, you know I want to stay in the industry. I want to stay right. uh, a hockey broadcaster, or a mm-hmm. sports broadcaster, and sometimes you can't pick. It's not up to you. Right. If if you really want to be in this business, it's it's hard because there's a bit of a balance between work and life. Sometimes in this industry, because it's so competitive, so many people are trying to get into it, so many people fighting for you know very few jobs, that you gotta sacrifice the the life side of it That's a little right. bit. Yeah. That's right. And uh, and yeah, so I mean, I'm here for now. Uh, we'll see where things go. I've got a new opportunity with TSN. And, you know, if the time comes where something else presents itself, you know, I'd move. Again, I've moved once before. It was in Lloyd, small town on the border. Not far, (laughs) two and a half hours away, depending on how fast you drive down Highway 16. But, uh, yeah, I'd move again. And, you know, Westcott... Westcott's kind of an interesting story because he's from Rochester. Right. I met him in Oklahoma City where he was working for the with, farm team. From the lockout yeah, yard, right? right? Yeah. yeah, so I, 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 even my first couple of years, I'd still have to go down there mm-hmm. and uh, do farm reports and catch yeah. up with you know prospects and stuff like that. And Westcott was just starting out. He just finished uh, broadcast school, I think. Uh, OCU, or Chris could probably... Uh, correct me, I count UCO, <laughs> one of one of the many universities in Oklahoma City because he moved down there, right. and uh, and he was an intern with them, and then he was so good that they hired him, and then when we needed a new writer in uh, during the lockout season after after the lockout had ended, we hired Chris. We thought he was the logical choice, and you know what? He did a hell of a job. He became um, someone I could lean on, my backup. He, mm-hmm. He's really good on camera. He writes well. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know how to read, so I don't know how to. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I like to make that joke, but um, That's why those glasses. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're just for show. Yeah, yeah. there's actually no lenses. Um, but he's he's a success story because he basically reached his peak with with OEG and. Uh, 
he found an opportunity with Chicago. It was a chance for him to go back home to the States. And uh, now he's, uh, he's working for a great organization with a great opportunity to, I think he's more of a feature writer and he mm-hmm. works more on the back end of the sites, less so game, game days and day to day. He still covers the team, obviously. But uh, it's, a, it's a new opportunity in a good situation with a great organization. So he should be an example for young broadcasters or writers because really now I tell people who are in the industry or, or in journalism school or whatever, right. it's like you need to be multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just, like if you told me to pick up a camera and start shooting something, I couldn't do it. Like, yeah, I, I right. could turn on the camera, yeah. I could probably put it in focus. But I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if the audio is working. I don't know if I hit record. You know, I just I tell people I'm just uh, uh, hair and teeth, and uh, and a meat puppet that talks. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) but I mean, you got to tell a story. You got to be a good storyteller. So that's my my thing. But Chris is one of those guys where he has uh, he's a multiple threat. You know, he can he can do the written. He can do. Uh, the TV side, he can do radio, he can do it all basically. So that's what I tell young broadcasters or up and coming journalism students: is yeah. don't close the door on other stuff. And I have to tell this to my brother because he went to journalism school at McEwen. He's a writer for uh, EdmontonOilers.com now, and I said, "Listen, man, I can teach you how to be on camera," mm. and he was afraid to, and he doesn't want to. And I think now he's starting to see that it's a better. Thing to do, to yeah. Have have uh, another uh, weapon in your arsenal, basically. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned sports broadcasters. Now, I mean, people in Canada, you know, they want to work in hockey, hockey, hockey. You know, I tell high school students, you may cover hockey, you may cover rodeo or right. tennis. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> personally, I've been media for ten years, and I've covered tennis, I've covered basketball, baseball, track and field, soccer. I love yeah. it all. Like, be open to covering more sports. You don't, you don't know because you don't exactly. know. Exactly. Uh, and that's another thing. I'm glad you bring that up because um, it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, you, you think is. you think you know yeah. a sport. You've watched it your entire life. Yeah. You're you are self described pro. You know, you're an expert. Yeah. But yeah. throw yourself into a, uh, take tennis for example. I don't know everything about tennis. I'd like to know more about about tennis. I've never covered a tennis event. If I had to do it, I'd have to give myself a quick lesson on tennis and learn as much as I can. I'd do a deep dive on it so yeah. I could mm-hmm. present the content to the viewer, the reader, the listener, the proper way. Yes. And that makes you even more of a, a multifunctional threat in the industry. So, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. When I was anchoring sports at CTV Edmonton, there were two sports I was deathly afraid of doing highlights for, and thank God uh, we got scripts for them. But um, curling and basketball. <laughs> really? <laughs> those are two sports I don't pay attention whatsoever to. See, yeah. well, we, you've done it more than I have. I've done highlights for them, but I didn't know what I was talking about. I just read the scripts. We have a question actually from you probably remember Vic Michaels from Rackhouse Sports. I do remember uh, Vic. Uh, hey, buddy. To know who your favorite wrestler of all time is? Oh, good question. Um, I'm a little bit older than you boys, but <laughs> my favorite wrestler when I was growing up and a kid was Razor Ramon. Oh. Before he was Scott Hall. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I just picked the camera. Why, why Razor Ramon? You oh, know what? Yeah. It was it was like it was the time when um, Hulk Hogan had just gone to WCW. Mm-hmm. Macho Man Randy Savage had gone to WCW, and I would always watch those guys. We'd watch. Rest. My grandpa loved wrestling. Old Italian guy loved <laughs> playing bocce and watching wrestling. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. So I'd watch with him, 
and uh, and so it was the time when like all these new characters were coming into the WWF. It was mm. Razor Ramon, One Two Three Kid, yeah. uh, Doink the Clown, <laughs> oh, the uh, Hunter's Hirsch <laughs> Hemsley before he became Triple H. One Two Three Kid was X Pac. X Pac, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he became Six, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and Razor Ramon was kind of part of that next wave. Diesel was one of them too. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Nash and. And it was right before Degeneration X became a thing. Shawn Michaels was still there, obviously, but just something about Razor Ramon, like he was just a badass. And I thought he was Italian. Turns out he had this. It was Cuban. Was yeah. his was his influence? <laughs> Wasn't or, Cuban either. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not. <laughs> he's not. Yeah. Um, but I just I I loved the character, and he he would always win. I loved uh, the Razor's Edge was his finishing move, mm. and. I'm like this. This guy, I play as Razor Ramon in every uh, video game on Super Nintendo way back when. Yeah. And so uh, Razor Ramon was my my hero until he went to WCW, and then I think they became. He was part of NWO, and I never really watched WCW because I would always stick with WWF. And uh, then it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I can't. Re- can you read that question for Chris Ruskin? I can't read it that far. Huh? What's the best building to watch hockey in as a fan or a broadcaster? Why are you asking me this? You know this. <laughs> you know, you now work out of one of the best. For those that don't know, what is the best it, as a fan? Yeah, as a fan, listen, now Now there's three. Um, the, the best to watch a game, I think, as a fan, and, and you, fan and broadcasters usually, you can lump them in together in terms of where the best to watch is. Right. Uh, Chicago. That's Chris just answered in all capital letters. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you just kissing your boss's <laughs> behind now? Yeah, you must be. They must be watching. for <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Um, wow, yeah, Chicago must be expensive to live there. Hey, Kweski, looking for that, that pump up and pay already? <laughs> back and forth. Chris, you got to come on the show now next. See? Um, oh, man. And, and Montreal is amazing. I call it the Cathedral of Hockey. The, the seats are so steep. Yeah. And uh, the atmosphere is amazing. Those two buildings are the two biggest in the league. There's 21,000 in Montreal, 22,000 in Chicago. The uh, anthem in Chicago is something to behold. Right. It gives you... I've, I've been to game. I've covered games there, I think, probably 10 times, 10 to 12 games at, in Chicago. And I still get, like, the tingle down my, my spine when, when that anthem's playing because it's amazing. And um, one that's going to, it's no surprise to people now, at the beginning of the year it would be, but it's Las Vegas. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. They do hockey right. You wouldn't think they good. would, but they pump up the jams. Yeah. It's, it's go, 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 high octane. Yeah. Forget the fact that it's Vegas and it's all entertainment. They just they just do a hockey game right. Yeah. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. They're there. The, the, the hockey's there to entertain you. And in the yeah. intermissions, you're not being bombarded by commercials. No. You don't have someone yelling at you. It's just really well done. Highly entertaining. And, uh, yeah, they're not playing uh, Bay City Rollers uh, Saturday night on a Saturday night game right. in the second stoppage of the game for no reason. Cause, just because it's Saturday. They're, they're giving you the hockey jams. They're getting you pumped up. You're excited. Um, and, and they do a fantastic job. And special mention goes to Winnipeg. It's a small arena, but it has one of the best atmospheres that you can imagine. It has 7,000 less seats than Chicago, 6,000 less than Montreal. But you're in there, and those 15,000 people are right on top of the game, and they're into it. And they love that team, and they're pumped up, passionate, and it's always a great time in Winnipeg. 
So let me. Uh, so I that, gave you four, four good ones. Oh, hey, more than one, but we'll take four. it. Yeah. And so on that point of Vegas, let me ask you about, you know, Vegas and, you know, hockey in Las Vegas. Where, first off, what was your thinking, and what, what did you first think of really hockey in Vegas, and and now look at it, and, and what do you think now with them being in the Cup final, and and it, this is I think great for the NHL. It is fantastic, but it's it's a bona fide NHL city now. Yep. You can't deny it. And we heard ris- whispers and rumors about them coming into the league ooh, about four or five years ago. That's mm-hmm. when it yeah. really started to pick up that this was legitimately going to happen. At first, we're like, I don't think so. But everybody thought Quebec or Seattle. Uh, there was talk about Kansas City a little bit. Right. And, um, and Vegas kind of came out of nowhere. And people were like, I don't know, I don't know. And the more you talked, the more you heard that this was legitimately going to be a thing. Right. And I remember uh, Doug Waite, of all people, we were in a, in a press conference with him at Old Rexall Place. And he finished up his presser. And I was with Louis DeBrasque and, and myself and Gene Principe. We, we just talked to Doug for a few minutes. Great guy, by the way. He's the absolute... One of my no, favorite beauties of, of the NHL, yeah. One of my favorite ones. One of my favorite too, and um, and he, we're talking about you know great great cities on the road to visit, mm-hmm. and he goes, well, boys, the next you know where the next team is going, and we're, we're like Quebec, right? He goes, no, Vegas, and this <laughs> was like three or four years ago, so. He's a fortune teller. He's a fortune teller. <laughs> but by then, there was enough going yeah, on that right. it was starting to catch wind that this was going to happen. Right. And it, it, it's true because you go to Vegas now, and they built the arena right off the Strip. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, right behind the Monte Carlo and, I think, New York, New York. I've been there before. So yeah. yeah. And uh, so you can you can stumble out into – they have a beautiful plaza, and it goes mm-hmm. right onto the Strip. Yeah. The arena is really nice. Stumble out, literally. <laughs> you can stumble out. <laughs> it happens. You, when you go and enjoy a sporting event, sometimes you, you yeah. have a few wobbly pops to go along with it and uh, uh, Vegas and, and it's at first I thought the team wasn't going to be very good uh, I said they had some good players but the rest were just filler and then they got off to that really hot start and it and you, they came to to Edmonton the one game in November and they were playing Maxime Legacy in net and he was their fourth or fifth string goalie that's right and he was like seven and one on the, at, the, at the time and the Oilers shelled them eight two here at yeah. Rogers Place yeah and I'm like, okay, that's it for Vegas. They're going to start tanking. Yeah. You know what? They turned it around. They, they did. They, I think they, they lost three in a row at one point, and then they just they went back on a big tear, and they became the team that we all know and are watching in the cup final right now. And, uh, and it's funny to see how the people of Las Vegas have really embraced that team. Obviously, a winning team is going to be loved anywhere it goes. No, of course. But the situation that they've built in Vegas, like the, the practice rink, where it is is apparently perfect. It's in a good area. Fans go to watch. Yeah. And and the arena itself is in a is a great spot. Uh, the team has been fantastic. They're likable. Uh, all these underdog stories, yeah. and they're winning all these games. They're in the cup final. They're three wins away from the Stanley Cup, which is unbelievable to say. Uh, I don't think they're going to win it, but you know. It, they're still legitimately there. It's still a good story. It's yeah. a fan, It's an amazing it's story. Year, and of course, like locals embrace that team so much. Like, yeah. Even from day one, even before they had a single player, I remember I was there last summer. I interviewed Bill Foley. Yeah. And a team went out to high schools, they went to high school and elementary schools, and they yeah. gave kids sticks and they gave Smart. kids jerseys. Incredible. Because kids who are going to be you know, become King fans, Ranger fans, are now Vegas fans. Absolutely. From age ten to whatever. Well, look at Austin Matthews. Why is he a hockey player? 
because he Arizona liked the Arizona Coyotes. Coyotes. He's from kid from Phoenix. Yeah. His dad liked Wayne Gretzky when Gretzky played for the Kings. Mm-hmm. That's how he got into hockey. And then all of a sudden you've got this kid from Phoenix that's uh, one of the best players in the league, first yeah. overall draft pick. So uh, it's the same thing. It's grass. So if Avery, you said that Bill Foley had you know Vegas staff going out, giving hockey sticks, teaching mm-hmm. kids street hockey, yeah. that's grassroots. That's what you need. You need to turn them to hockey because kids in – Especially in the American Southwest, they're not looking at hockey and going, I want to do that. Exactly. Playing basketball, (laughs) baseball, baseball, tennis, football. There's so many other things. When it's nice outside, the last thing you want to do is sit in an icebox, basically. Um, You know, it's not the first thing that comes to to mind naturally. No. But if you show young kids that, hey, this is fun, oh, by the way, you could play street hockey, you could play real hockey, we're going to build arenas. That's the other thing they did. They built a fantastic uh, arena. That's what. The Dallas Stars did in, mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, they they have the uh, Dr Pepper uh, Dr Pepper centers ar- around Dallas in the area, and it grows the game because all of a sudden you got um, young young people playing the sport, exactly. and then all of a sudden it's relevant. Yeah. Again, for those just turning in, we're with Tom Gazzola here. Uh, the segment's brought to you by Core Dental Group. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, as we move on, and I want to talk with the Oilers for a minute. Oh, great. Um, what, what, what do you see them going in this year? Obviously, there were some high expectations last year. They fell short, as we all know. Um, <laughs> do they? Do you see them back in the playoffs next year? Is this a team that can get back there? Obviously, you look at McDavid, one of the best players, I think, arguably in the world. Yep, can, can that's he fair. lead that team back to the promised land? Yeah, it, it, I think they will be in the playoffs again next year. Um he, good, he I bought can. season tickets, so thank God. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You're, you're invested. You're invested. Um, uh, yeah, but you know what? And Yes, they have Connor leading them, but he's going to need people helping him out. Absolutely. And it can't just be Leon Dreisaitl. It can't just be Ryan. You, you need more than one guy steering the ship and and two guys playing streakier. You know, I know Nuge got hurt uh, during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you need... You need three quarters of that team going. You can only have like a select few guys uh, slumping or having rough seasons, or else the the, the boat sinks, man. Right. And that's what we saw. And I think too, overconfidence played a factor. And absolutely, um, and we saw what happened in the playoffs in 2017. It was fantastic. One win away from the conference good. final. Yeah, mm-hmm. great vibe around the city. That team rallied together. They were playing as a team. Um, but if you listen to the players. When they compare the two teams, they always said, you know, maybe in 2016-17 we had a chip on our shoulder because we had to prove people we were actually good. Right. This year, they came in with everyone saying how good they were. And I think even though they said all the right things in training camp, when it came time to go on the ice, maybe they didn't have that edge that they had the year before. And I think it caught them because all of a sudden they had a bit of a target on their back. That's right, yeah. And and so what that last season did for them, I think, in my opinion – is provided a really harsh and really tough lesson for a young group of hockey players in the NHL. And if they're smart, which most of those guys are, they're going to learn from that. Mm-hmm. They're going to see what they did two years ago. They're going to see what happened when they came in with swagger last year and believed the hype. And they're going to mm-hmm. say, we don't want that last, what we did last year. We know what we did wrong. Our attitude has to be different. We have to be smart. We have to be diligent. We have to be prepared. And we can't just go on the ice expecting to win with skill and just because we're the Edmonton Oilers and we have the best player in the world, we're going to win every game. That's not how it works. There's so many good players in the NHL. These are the best players in the world, and they want to beat the best. 
that's what makes them the best is they want to beat the best to show that they're the best and and you got to be up for the challenge and on so many nights this past season the Oilers as a team just weren't so hypothetically if you're if you're the GM for one day this summer what player do you see potentially coming in to maybe helping Connor and his core to get to where they need to be to make the playoffs. Oh, well, I would... Is it a James Neal, potentially? Yeah, but I think James Neal's going to stay in Vegas. They really like... He's tight with the owner. They really like him there. He likes it there. Uh, He's a very popular player. You know, he's going to get paid. He's going to get a big contract. Yeah. so I mean that would be uh, that would be great, but you'd have a you'd have to pay him a lot. Exactly. B you'd have to give him term. Uh, all, we all know that there's some big contracts on and long term contracts on this team, kind of clogging things up. Yes. So you, and I don't think the defense is really the problem. Everybody says you need a right well, right shot so. defense that can you know uh, quarterback a power play. Yeah, but how many of those guys are actually truly out there? In, in the league, right? And that's why they're such a valuable commodity. And you got Eric Carlson. Who knows where he's going to go? I don't think the Oilers should be looking at bringing in something like that. It would be ideal if they could, obviously. But you got to be smart with the cap now. you got Connor's uh, salary coming on. Uh, I know the cap's Leon going up. Leon, I mean, yeah, Leon at 8.5 the last year and, and for the next, what, seven seasons. So um, it's uh, you gotta, you got to kind of... Identify a few players that can kind of help boost. I think they need wingers too. I really yeah, do. I agree. They need depth wingers. That, in my opinion, is the most important thing because I think the defense, with what you have right now, should be much better than it was last year. Absolutely. Oscar Kleffbaum played with one arm last year, and he was getting shots and, and taking medicine for. So he played with one arm. Sakara was hurt. Sakara, yeah. and it's funny because you see a guy when they blow out a knee. And it's, it's happened ever since guys have been coming back from uh, uh, knee reconstructions is it takes them about a year to actually feel um, comfortable on that knee and to have the confidence back in their skating ability and their stride. It takes about a calendar year from the surgery. It happened to Ryan Smith in, in uh, the early 2000s. He had the same thing. He blew out a knee. It happened to Doug Waite, I believe, uh, as well. Like it happens. Those knee injuries are awful. And it takes a long time, mentally and physically, to everything be back in harmony. Of course. And and Andre Sekera is going through that right now. So he should be better next season. He should be more confident. He shouldn't have the yips like he did last season when he came back. And and they were hurting so bad on defense that you know maybe he could have taken another month off. Maybe he should have taken another month off. But this is a guy that's supposed to be your uh, steady veteran defensive presence on a team that's struggling defensively so you know you bring him back yes you know he gets the okay from the doctor so you bring him back and that's what happened he wasn't he couldn't do what he was used to doing in years past because he wasn't there yet he was so far behind and you know you got the knee weighing on your mind while you're playing mm-hmm. as well so i truly believe the defense can be good with who they have matt matt benning should have a better year you know he right. sophomore slump he looked he looked really bad at times but then he recovered at times. It's about being headstrong and learning how to be a consistent player on a day-to-day basis in this league. And, and after success in his first season, you know, they gave him a little bit more responsibility with the guys being out, and he struggled with it a bit. Absolutely, he'll admit that too. And so he should be better next year. Adam Larson, he had a just a devastatingly hard year off the ice for him. It, yeah, you lose your dad in the middle of the season. That's gonna. That's gonna yeah. hurt. That's gonna. Yeah, and he needed that time away. And and where do you think his 
his heads out when he comes back, you know? That's that's hard. Yes, he's motivated. Yes, he wants to be a pro, but right. so so there you've got you know, Sekera, Clefbaum, Larson, three guys dealing with some major major let's call it trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it be on the ice or off the ice, and those are three core pieces of your defense. And you're looking at your D and going, "Well, we need better defense. This guy's garbage because of this. This guy's garbage." Think about it. Those guys are better players than what we saw last year, so they should, mm-hmm. in theory, be solid next year. And that's again my opinion. So I, if I was the GM for a day, Brad, I'd go out and get veteran. I'd look at Thomas Vanek. You know, I know Vancouver might want to bring him back. I'd look at bringing him in one or two year, one in and off, something like that, just to veteran guys yeah. who you know will get you 40, 50 points, who can yeah. score, who can play on the power play, and give you depth exactly. and options. And you know Lucic is going to play better next year. And you know uh, Drysaddle had a good year, but yeah. Kajula, maybe a year of learning helps him. So I think depth guys on the wing is where they should focus. I'm not the GM, but if you're asking me, that's what I would do. What do you think on Jeff Scare possibly in MJ? People think Jeff Scare should be possibly a target for all of the offseason. Because Carolina, their team right now in a bit of influx with Tom Duden, you know, they fired the yeah. GM, new head coach. I think Jeff Scare is a guy who could be on the radar come next season. Yep, and uh, I think that's fair. Absolutely, Avery. Uh, he's, he's a quicker guy. Everyone talked about team speed, foot speed on the team last year. They looked slow. Uh, Listen, you know why I think they looked slow last year is they didn't move the puck very well. No. They couldn't complete passes to, to save their lives. They couldn't right. get out of their own zone. No. Of course you're going to look slow. You're going to look sloppy if you if you can't make a play to, to break out or anything. And they that hampered them all season. So if, if you're a guy that wants speed and uh, agility and scoring presence, you, maybe you look at Jeff Skinner. Maybe He might be a little... He's younger than Vanek. He might be mm-hmm. a little more expensive. He might want longer term than Vanek. That's where you have to weigh the pros and cons, and, and you have to say, is this guy going to be worth it? Uh, and what he wants, to, is that in line with our our plan, if right. you're the Oilers? Uh, but it, you got to keep all your lines of communication open. you got to keep all of your options open. Right. Why not look at it? Right. You know, maybe, maybe Jeff Skinner is interested in Edmonton, would like to play or sees an opportunity for his career to maybe take an, another uh, step. Or he can get back to you know how he was uh, four or five years ago, um, because I know th- it's been kind of uh, rough waters in Carolina the last yeah. little bit. But yeah, I would I would be open to that if I was him and if I was the Oilers. You know, why not call him and see maybe if that's a fit. But again, you got to look now. Cap comes into play now. Mm-hmm. Contract length comes into play. So I think Peter Shirelli and Keith Gretzky they and I th- they know this. They're they're smart guys. Um, uh, they're gonna have to kind of. It's kind of like uh, it's puzzle pieces. So they're gonna have to find a way to f- fit something in. No, exactly. Yeah. So uh, do, do you got one more? Oh, go ahead, Brian. You got go ahead. Uh, I I would be remiss to to not talk about the Edmonton Eskimos for oh, a Oh, love it. Yes. The, uh, there we go. You know the the Grey Cup in town this year and great uh, party. <laughs> <laughs> it will be. Yeah, I'll be yeah, there. Me too. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of this team that they, they are fielded now? And you look at Mike Riley, you know, still back, and he'll be better than ever. J.C. Sherritt now going to be back and healthy, yeah. and he should be ready to roll. What do you think of this? Is this, for you, is this a, is this a great cup team? It should be, but um, nine-team league, uh, teams get on streaks, yeah. injuries happen. 
Um, and we've seen it year time after time after time in this league. Yeah. Yep, on paper they look good. I'm curious to see how the D-line plays after mm-hmm. losing Odell Willis, uh, Marcus Howard's gone, uh, John Chick retires. Yeah. Uh, who else? I mean, they cut most of the guys on the D-line. Uh, Daquan Bowers retired. retired yeah. So who's, who's getting after the quarterback? Uh, is someone going to be able... I know those guys were uh, big-ticket veteran players, so sometimes you need those guys. Yeah, J.C. Sherrod's coming back. That is a huge boost to that linebacking Absolutely. core. Uh, he's like uh, he's one of the captains on the team. We've seen him. He's been doing it for what six or seven years in this yeah. league, where he's been an absolute stud on that team and in this league. Uh, and then the the DBs. I'm kind of curious to see. I, I, you got Aaron Grimes back uh, after his, his his time with uh, Philadelphia. He's I know he came in. He he dropped in uh, midway through last season when he got cut and released from the NFL. But uh, I'm curious to see how the DBs play as a unit. And then offensively, where are the receivers going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, no more Zilstra. Bowman's gone. Bowman had a tough year. He was injured. Uh, I think Bowman's going to be great in uh, Winnipeg. Um, so now you've got Darrell Walker's back. Fantastic. Uh, is it Bryant Mitchell's another burner that's that's fast and, and can make plays? I like Daquan Bowers. I liked what he did last year. He looks lean and mean this year. Yeah. Uh, he was getting in, into it with Deron Carter on the sidelines when the, <laughs> in the game here a week and a half ago. I like. I like that. Uh, I like that. You know, piss and vinegar kind of way of playing yeah, right, 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 in yeah. someone's face. You're going after. I like. I like that about Daquan Bowers, and I think he learned the league a little bit last year. So, um, and then who else do we have at receiver as well? Yeah, uh, Shaq Williams as well too. Shaq Williams, yeah, and uh, who's the Canadian? Nate Bahar. Nate Bahar, yeah. So, uh, obviously, Mike Riley's going to get them the ball. C.J. Gable comes in first full season with the team. Uh, he looked strong last year. O line is pretty much intact, from what I remember. Rotier is yeah. gone, That's right. um, and and they they know the, they've got the pressure on them this they year. Do. They're hosting, yeah. and they've they've got they have the pieces. But Calgary always scares me. Bo Levi Mitchell always scares me. All of a sudden, Winnipeg's looking really good. Mm-hmm. I didn't nothing against Matt Nichols, but I never really thought. He was capable of no, being the quarterback. I was on that train too. And he's was, proven everyone yeah. absolutely wrong. Yeah. I think BC is going to be kind of ho hum this season. Uh, so, and Saskatchewan's another kind of team that's that's kind of a mystery to me because a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde there when I watch Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, and, I hear you. And Chris Jones is a winner, but he's also the way he does things is a little bit wild. And 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 I loved him when he was here, and it worked, but. Now that he's running his own show, I think the last two years have been like a, an eye opener for him, and mm-hmm. I can, I can kind of see Saskatchewan, you know, starting to crest a little bit. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting in the West. I like the es- I always like the Eskimos. Yeah. Um, Mike Riley's always going to take them to. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're always going to be competitive yeah. when he's got the ball. Kevin it. Glenn, they've got Kevin Glenn now. That's right. Yeah. You know, he's, he looked great. Yeah. He's just a pro. He's been he's been playing in the league for 34 years now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, his first year was the year I was born, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, it feels like <laughs> it, but he's still a very good quarterback. True. And uh, so I, I, like, I like the team. Maybe Jason Moss has grown as a coach mm. because, I mean, we saw – what happened to him in the last couple of years? The microphone thing. Oh, uh, the first year he was a head coach. The microphone thing uh, in the rematch of the Labor Day Classic, yeah. uh, and then maybe and then in the Western Final, uh, some questionable play calling. Right. 
in yeah. some people's opinion. Yeah. He, he stands by it. It happened. That well, is what it is. The, turn, the page has turned. The page has turned. Yeah. We're in a new season. Maybe he's learned from it. And obviously he's a competitor and he's got that fire in his belly just like he did when he was a quarterback. Mm. They have all the elements. And I really like the team. So, and of course, when you look at the East, like Ricky Ray is still my favorite. Yeah. Him and Mike Riley are my, like one, two. Ricky Ray will be a legend. In the Ricky Ray is, he's a living, he's a walking, talking, breathing legend. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this Johnny Manziel stuff. I'm enjoying it. It's uh, me too. Love him or hate him, it's great. You know, people are talking. He looked good the other day at, at certain moments, and then at other times you could tell he didn't understand the Canadian game. Right. Intentional yeah. grounding. He took a 22-yard penalty when they were in right. the red zone, and oh, or when he uh, uh, was running to to the locker room because there was like a second left on the clock or no time left on the clock, but they still had to run a play. Exactly. And his quote was. I'm looking at zeros on the score clock and running to the locker room, and they're telling me we got another play. So he's got that's the learning curve. That, learning yeah, that's yeah. that's where he's got to learn, and he's got to figure out the little nuances of the CFL as opposed to NFL football and, and the NCAA. So exactly. a lot of good things to talk about this season, and uh, come late November, this city's downtown is going to be buzzing. Hopefully, we get good weather because I know the party party is going to be just as hot. Yes, if it's like 2010, that was a great party. I had a lot of fun, and I can't <laughs> wait to do it again. So I, I, the past two years, I went to the Great Cup in, in Toronto in 2016, yep. and to Ottawa in 2017. Yep. And every day, Great Cup those past two years, I didn't go to bed before two in the morning. Like that. Wow, you went to bed early. early. What are you uh, doing? Uh, early, yeah. early. Like, hey, early? Yeah. I think the minimum <laughs> is like. Great cop. He's like, nah, you go to bed at 4 a.m. minimum, yeah, and nah. then you're up at like the crack of like at eight. Yeah, yeah. gotta pace yourself a great to each their own. But by the time you're up, <laughs> sure. it should be you know at, in bed by four. Four hours of like <laughs> good deep sleep. Yeah, absolutely. I'll bet eight. Get that OJ and Advil and get back at it. Right back on the horse and yeah, have some though. fun. I don't, I don't drink though, so that's the thing to me. Yeah, yeah but that doesn't mean you can't have fun. Oh, of course, yeah, I have fun. Yeah. I, I have to go do press. I have to go do media work as well too. I got to be responsible. Oh, I heard that. Well, well, yeah. I could just play the entire time. Well, if, if Westcott's watching, he could he could impart some wisdom on Young Avery here as well. <laughs> So, so there's ways of doing it. It's it, it's doable. <laughs> I, I'd also be remiss to not <laughs> yeah. talk about your golf game. I know you've been uh, oh, meeting yeah. up Arizona and some sunbathing and a little let's, bit. Let's talk about your golf game. How is it improving? It is improving. <laughs> it actually is. You play okay. that much, you got to learn something, right? <laughs> yeah, right. How much do you play? Uh, I'm about about once or twice a week right now. Oh, even wow. since I've been back from Arizona, I went down like many people in this province are family has a house down there yeah. when things were good okay. they bought one great investment property and uh, try to make it down there as much as I can I had a lot of free time in the first few months of the year so I went down there <laughs> I think I spent five weeks at the house in, in Phoenix wow. and uh, golfed a bunch and uh, I'm in the mid 80s right now and, and you know I could be in the low 80s so uh, for me I'm get like shooting 90 for me is a disappointment now. so <laughs> it's taken me 20 years of playing this sport to get to that point yeah and now i'm consistently in the 80s and that's a that's a, an accomplishment for me i feel good about it but there are still those moments in my golf game where i'll first of all i'll three jack putts on the green like all the time all i can get there in two but i'm bogeying this hole because i know i'm three jacking these on this green so um but that's it's those little things like there's there's always a little bit of room for improvement, of and uh, and I, I finish a round, and I go well. You know, 
I, I, I lipped out that putt from two feet away on this hole, this hole, this hole. Yeah. I made a terrible shot on my approach on this hole. And so there's there's easy fixes in my game that I can recognize, and I'm like, I should be in the low 80s. So be, yeah. <laughs> maybe if you guys invite me back on later this summer, I'll have an update, and it's a good news update. Sounds good. So I'll continue working on my game starting this week. And uh, we'll see where it gets to. Now you said 80. Is that, is that a real 80? Or did you take mulligans and say, oh, that didn't count? Or you <laughs> no. Is that a real 80? <laughs> 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 yes, I'm pretty honest. And, I, and, it, and it comes from uh, my uncle who, you know, he stands by the... He's the one that taught me golf. He sticks by the rules of the game. He's uncle very Gizola, honest. There you go. Uncle Diego, yeah. And, uh, and I, I try to stay true. You know, I don't use the foot wedge. Uh, if I'm under a tree, you know, I, I smack, I try to smack it out with one of my clubs and just yeah. give myself a good look at the at the next shot. Uh, no, not real mulligans every now and then, depending on it has to be. It depends on who you play with, and, <laughs> depends on and late in the day, and late in the day, and how much swing lubricant you've had. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but no, not that often. I don't, okay. I don't take mulligans or, or cut corners that often, and I take my penalty strokes if I put it into a hazard or if I have to drop a ball. So I'm pretty honest, and and I, I like to stand by that. So and and gimme putts too. Like it has to be at least pretty close, and you have to, uh, you gotta ask for that gimme yeah, from, from your yeah, you know who, yeah. whoever you're playing with. Um, I don't just take it from like two feet away. Oh, it's yeah. close enough. That's a par. No. That's not me. Remember when I said I lip out all these like two foot putts? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't take those gimmies. I, I burn, I burn them up. You know what? I, uh, I blow those putts really bad. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I could have taken a gimme because someone offered it, but I'd rather try to make that putt and be honest about it than than lie about it and say, well, I shot an 86 today. Okay. But but I took like nine gimmies from a foot and a half out. Right. I'd rather play honest. On the sport of golf, we're going to ask you about what you thought on Tiger Woods' revival to the game of golf. You know, over the past few years, Tiger's played one tournament, pulled out, one tournament, pulled out. But now he's back. He's, I think he's like 80th in the world now and doing pretty well. What are your thoughts on his return to golf and actually doing pretty well in this tournament he's played in so far? I like it. And you know what? Tiger Woods is good for the game of golf. Mm. He's he's now, it's, it's incredible. To, I mean, what is he, 42 now? Yeah, 42. He's become part of the old guard. Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods... Uh, Sergio Garcia. When I was younger, those were the those were the new guys. That uh, was Adam Scott was part of that too. Mm-hmm. That was the new cr- uh, cream of the crop coming up. And Tiger took everyone by storm. Yeah. And uh, he's a fantastic. I think he's still a fantastic player. Obviously, what happened off and away from golf affected mm-hmm. what happened on the golf course. Of course. Um, is the, the whole mental aspect of the game and then his body's taken a beating and he had all those surgeries what was his back and his neck and his knee and the the thing when i would watch him is he would try to come back for those tournaments yeah when he wasn't like a hundred percent healthy and and he would take a, a shot and swing and he would be like ah and he would just make it blatantly obvious to everyone that yeah, it, that maybe. shot hurt him <laughs> he to me i think he was Maybe he was forcing it a little bit or trying to show face and be, be a part of the game still, but right. maybe that was a time where he could have stayed away and gotten healthy, and maybe it did more harm to his game to be playing in those tournaments than it helped, but he's gotten through that. It looks like he's good. It looks like he's healthy, and I think uh, a competitive Tiger Woods... Tiger Woods is still a draw. He's he's gonna be what Jack Nicholas was for the last thirty years. You know, even though Nicholas wasn't as competitive as 
as he was in his prime and he wasn't winning as much. Anytime you saw Jack Nicholas taking uh, a shot on TV and on a broadcast, you're watching. You want you yeah, just want to see him play. And Tiger Woods, he still has time to be competitive. Of course. He's still a very strong golfer and to see his game rising again is a good thing because he's got a lot of fans still. Yeah. People have stuck with him. He's the reason why golf is where it's at now. He was the guy that uh, was the influence for uh, the guys that we're seeing now, the Ricky Fowlers, right. the, the D- Dustin the Johnson, yeah. Roy McIlroy. They all watched him and wanted to be him. Exactly. Now they've surpassed him, but he's still got some game left, and we get to see him try to compete with the new guys, and I think that's fantastic. Of course, and people say Tiger will not win another tournament again. I think Tiger, this is my prediction, I think Tiger will win two more majors, and six more tournaments in general. He will win two really? more majors. That's I think bold. Tiger has a few more yeah. majors than him. I think. That's a bold prediction. I hope so. What's what's he? Is he four away from the record still? He is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, think so, I think he uh, reached. Yeah. I think he at least ties the record for majors. I think he ties it. Well, I'd like to see that. I really would because he's been a fantastic athlete for a really long time, and to see the competitive spirit in him is a fantastic thing as well. So that's a bold prediction, Avery. I don't know if he's ever going to win again. I'm sure he's going to win a few more tournaments. When, if, when if you come back, going. we'll have to test that ball prediction. Hey, you know what? Hey, Tom right. Watson, I don't know, 60 almost won the British Open at 59 That's years old. Right. Like, Tom <laughs> Watson almost won it at 60, Tigers at 42. Hey, golf is a sport you can be competitive at 21, 31, 41, 51. Exactly. Hey, so Tom, you're right. Hey, Tom, we know it's uh, almost past your bedtime. We're not going <laughs> to keep you much longer. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. To pr- uh, Thanks, it's Avery. a pleasure. My it's pleasure. an honor. And uh, hopefully you'll be back for episode 50. This is number five. So More than happy. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Thanks, boys. Thank you so much. Let's go to break. We'll be back for part two of the Brad Dabry Hour. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you live like right down the street? I live on the other side of McEwen. Oh, sweet. Yes. Welcome back to segment number two, the Brad Dabry Hour. Again, Avery Lewis McDougal, Brad Barco. A huge, huge thank you to Tom Gazzola for actually stopping by here at the beautiful Atlas Steakhouse in our studio. Thanks again to Match and Granville Casino. And huge thank you to our sponsor, Court Dental Group. We love you guys. Thank you guys so much for your support. And man, we got a lot to get through. So let's get to it. We only got a few minutes here. Avery, first off, I want to talk about something that happened tonight. And we had a conversation off the record about it. The MLB draft, uh, who, what, where, how, and why. Um, the MLB draft does not get exposure, yeah. especially up here, let alone in the States. You only get to watch it in the at, on the MLB network or online at MLB.com, and there's no build-up. There's, it's a one-day or, yeah. well, it's a three-day event, but it, there's no build-up to it. you got to wait till June 4th today, and yeah. it happens, and here we are. Why is there no buildup? Why? What is the MLB doing compared to the NFL, where you see all these these months and months of, of profiling? The NHL, same thing. Months and months of the scouting combine, all this stuff. You don't see that with the MLB. No, you don't. I guess the one issue is that with baseball is that prospects that are 18, 19 years old don't always immediately jump from high school ball to the MLB. They stop off in. A ball, double A ball, and then the major leagues in a few years. So you can't really see these guys in the major leagues, but you should still hype them to an extent. Still get fans ready. And of course, the fact that MLB's draft is what? 50 rounds? To a fan, who wants to watch a 50 round draft? To anybody that's not interesting to watch, it's not entertaining, and to the MLB, 
if you want it, okay, say MLB gets, they, they cut the rounds down, they hype up the, they hype up the prospects, MLB, you gotta open up the for fans to be able to go to the draft. Mm-hmm. Make the draft an event. Don't just have your draft in a TV studio. Have an actual, have it in a stadium. Have it at a restaurant. Have it somewhere where fans can come and support their teams. The days of the draft being behind closed doors to an extent to me have been over for decades. So you're saying that the MLB is behind? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you, right? I think it's... I enjoy watching it because I enjoy baseball. But I, I see it from the outside point of view where it's preposterous. There's no fan interaction. There's, nobody comes to the stage, really. We've seen our first guy come by the jersey on, and it was pick number five already, and he shook the commander's hand. Have a nice day. Thanks for coming. And went back and sat down. During the, there's no interviews with the family. There's no interviews really with anybody or, or anything really going on. It's, it's very blah, very boring. Yeah, it is very to, boring. Not to an average average fan, right? So and even um, the highlight breakdowns for a cat like the highlight breakdowns in the NBA and the NHL mm-hmm. are very dynamic for a prospect. The breakdowns for a prospect in baseball are like you mentioned very bland, very boring to a casual fan. Yeah. There's no real interest in that. Like, okay, so this guy pitched high school, I saw two clips of him. Like what makes me want to watch him if I have no real footage of him? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Why why would I want to tune in to watch that? It doesn't make sense to me, and the MLB's got to clean it up, and they got to clean it up quick. It's yeah, something needs because, to happen. I mean, so. there are some great stories. I mean, Hunter Green, who went a couple of years ago, who was a young minority pitching prospect, and if you want to get into it, we can get into a different episode. How there is a dramatic lack of young black pitchers in baseball. That should have been a big story right there for MLB to really hype yeah, up to an extent, is. and. He's forgotten about. Like, where's Hunter Green prospect? Because that's the kind of guy you can promote to get inner city youth and get black kids into playing baseball. Where's hype for him 24-7? I don't well, see it. I think he's doing well, from what I understand. Uh, they have him on both sides of the plate. They have him on the mound and hitting. He's a great, uh, great two-way yes. hitter as well. Um, I believe he's in double A right now, which is good for him. And we should see him in the MLB within the next year. Uh Possibly at, at most, I'd say three years, yeah. but uh, he's done very, very well. Uh, and Cincinnati is just trying to groom him and, right. and make sure he's he's ready for the show. Well, one question, SI, one question, no. SI did a story on him though. But I'm talking about MLB, MLB.com's um, perspective. SI did a great feature on him, but MLB themselves, not just SI or New York mm-hmm. Times, needs to go out there and promote him more because yeah, you got a two-way guy who's uh, of color and very talented off the field. Like, his interests off the field are very interesting. Like, go Google Hunter Green's um, profile. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very interesting. And you bring up a very, very good point. Is You know, Hunter Green could have broke down the barrier. Hunter Green could have, you know, allow more colored pitcher, pitchers yeah. in the MLB. So we'll, we'll see how that goes down the line in the next, I don't know, decade, five years. We'll, we'll see what happens, but... Exactly, but the MLB, they have some serious work to do in terms of getting the casual fan hooked on the draft and the younger audience hooked on the draft because they're always going to have the diehards. Like, of course, like, you, like, you're a diehard, like, you're someone, like, you're, like, we're people who would watch the draft and pay attention, but the casual fans, they have to find a way to get them to watch the draft. Like, right. casual fans watch the NBA draft, casual fans watch NHL's draft, and NFL draft, MLB draft, Very true. and they don't even know there's a draft happening, what's happening mid-season. They don't know. 
It's happening June 4th. <laughs> we're, we're like 80 games into the year or, or whatnot, and it's happening June 4th. Why not host your draft in November? Why not host your draft in December, January, February even, and, and hype it more? Yeah. Build it up. Maybe you start right now in June. You do a little bit even of draft prospects. Build it up in the next couple months and then do it in September. Boom, you blast. You do a prospect show. At the end of September, you do a, a mock draft like the NFL does on the NFL yeah. Network. And then, bam, you host the draft in December or whatever it is. Yeah, and the there needs to be more planning put in place for this to be successful. And the problem is that the fact is that there's more than one draft. And to, you know, like, diehards may understand the different drafts in baseball, you know, the rookie draft, the international draft. Like, a casual fan will get lost with having three drafts, four drafts a year. They won't understand that. No, they they won't. And then maybe the MLB needs to combine them into one and be done with it, right? Who? I don't know. I'm not Rob, Rob Manford. I don't, you know, I'm not there. But this is my perspective as a fan and a, a podcaster is... That's what you need to do. You need to clean it up and make it better. Yeah, exactly. And of course, right now, of course, the sports will go from baseball to hockey. As as someone, you listen to the podcast, you know we were both picked the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup. And right now, it's 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 Washington Capitals up in the series, three games to one. They once again dominate Vegas, this time winning 6-2 to two as the series goes back to Vegas. And right now, Brad, the Golden Knights are in some deep-fried trouble. Uh, yeah. And that's the best <laughs> way to put it. And I think uh, some home cooking might be might be good for Bears. Yeah, they might hit home ice and, and maybe make it a three-two serve. Maybe make it interesting. Or hey, the Vegas fans might just see a Stanley Cup, but not for their team. They, we may see Alexander Ovechkin hoist a Stanley Cup, and you know what? He can put that monkey off his back and say he can now. I believe. Without a Stanley Cup, I don't think you can be entered into elite territory. Ooh, wow, that's a hot take. I, that's uh, a hot take. Uh, you heard it here first. You heard it here now. I don't think without a Stanley Cup ring, you're an elite player. Wow. <laughs> and Alexander Ovechkin. Wow. Will become an elite player if he wins the Stanley Cup. Wow the, fact, wow, the fact that you wouldn't put him as a lead. This is a guy who has won gold medals, has been a 60-goal guy, scoring titles. Avery, but not elite player. Listen, what? listen, Avery, he hasn't won the best trophy of them all, a Stanley Cup. No, I know, but Colin Fraser has three Stanley Cup rings. But I don't care. He's elite. <laughs> no, um, I, I'm talking about Alexander Ovechkin. He is not elite in my eyes. Until he wins his Stanley Cup. Wow. He is not one of the best players in the world. Quote, unquote, best players in the world. If he don't win a Stanley Cup. Wow, you're going to put John Tavares in that too? And Taylor Hall? And Absolutely. Steven Stamkos? Absolutely. I will win. <laughs> Absolutely. That takes a hot. The player has a hot take. Absolutely. Over on Atlas. The takes are coming hot. You see those takes? They're coming real hot. They're coming hot. Can you see me? Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, man. Pulls him down. He's going to burn the place down. He's going to burn the place down. He's going to burn the place down. I'm on fire, boys. Oh, my goodness. I'm on fire. No, no. You're wow. Not a, you're not elite. Wow. Until you win the Stanley Cup. I don't care how many gold medals you got. Great. 
You got ten of them. Woo! Wow. Woo! Win the Stanley Cup first. You're going to get grilled for that one. I'm up. <laughs> hey, hey, opinions are opinions. That's what we're here for. If you, hey, if I'm going to hate, step on the other side of the mic. Right? That's <laughs> that's the way I see it. And that That's my opinion. It's Sidney Crosby is better than Alexander Ovechkin. I agree with that. Because too. of the Stanley Cups and because of his achievements. Because of what he's done. You know that, what? That's my take. Alexander Ovechkin is good. He is good. He's a great player. He is not elite until he puts a ring on his finger. Uh, one more win, he can he can fall into your category for elite. With one more win, he can fall into your criteria for elite. But I'll say this though. Well, <coughs> they tend to choke in round two. Maybe they uh, lose three games. You know, in terms, in terms of hockey comedy and for just Twitter chaos, Washington blowing a 3-1 lead would be hilarious. <laughs> it would be. You know what? You know who I put in elite? That that, that guy net in Vegas, number 29, Mark andre Fleury. You know what? That guy, to me, is a future Hall of Famer. Hey, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think the man is eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame. And what he's done late in his career, his career we, we talked about it before on the podcast, a career revival mm-hmm. of him Vegas has been incredible. And even if the Golden Knights fall short... What they've done this year has been really spectacular, especially in net. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, what what Mark Andre Fleury's been able to do and really transform back into the old Mark Andre Fleury, and then really make uh, the Penguins, I guess, second guess themselves and says, "Yes, Mark, uh, Matt Murray's great, and Matt Murray, you know, deserves to be where he is." But I believe Mark Andre Fleury is better. And I, I think they made a mistake, and it's obviously their their loss is Vegas's game. And that's a guy they will build their team around for many years to come. This is a guy that that will be there for the long haul. Hopefully, take them to many more Stanley Cup finals, many more playoff runs. And uh, this is a guy that I, I am totally on board with. I believe in. Well, we shall definitely see. But you know, I do like the fact that if either Vegas or Washington wins. Somebody new is a Stanley Cup champion. We're gonna because we've had the past ten years of Pittsburgh, LA, Chicago, Boston. Pittsburgh, LA, Chicago, Boston. Pittsburgh, LA, Chicago, Boston. Like I like the fact we're getting somebody else new, either Vegas or Washington. For the and it's a, it's the first time since 06, 07, It's two teams in the Cup final who never won a cup before. As I'm very clogged up and stuffed up right now, as you can hear in my voice. <laughs> somebody just said I was on my phone. On the live camera, I promise you, I was tagging people, making sure the video worked on our end. I wasn't texting. I wasn't. I, I promise. Okay. <laughs> full full disclosure. I'm making sure things work. This is the first time we're doing this. We're gonna do this. I think from now on. I think. So. I, I think this is a great great thing. Again, I want to just wrap up here. Big thanks to Shaq. Big thanks to the guys at Match. Atlas Steakhouse for letting us have this incredible room again. Tom Gazzola for coming, uh, drenching in the silken wet and walking <laughs> over here to be with us again. My co-host, as always, Avery Lewis McDougall. We will be back next week, week six, with a very in-house special guest. You're not going to want to miss this. We'll be back Facebook Live. Make sure you like, follow, and share this. And we'll be back same time, same place, 8 o'clock again. 
Thank you to Core Dental for, for being our sponsor and our love. Man, we appreciate all you guys, all your support. When we go, here's some bonus content of Avery Lewis McDougal and myself. Uh, we had the privilege last week to interview the keeper of the Great Cup, Jeff McWhitney, at uh, last week's CFL Great Cup breakfast with the CFL commissioner, none other than Randy Ambrosi, right here in Edmonton. Uh, have a listen. Hope you guys enjoy. And again, we will see you next week back here at 8 o'clock sharp. So we are here at the Shaw Conference Center with the Great Cup and, of course, the man of the Great Cup, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I want to ask you real quick, what's it like traveling with this beautiful trophy around all the time and, and be, making sure it's protected? And you know, sure okay? protect is a good verb, but uh, we go, we'll go one step further. We have an opportunity to give all Canadians an opportunity. We have uh, the RCMP here that takes good care of us, but one thing that we want to do is make sure that every Canadian gets an opportunity to have their own Great Cup moment. Uh, we just had one with you, which is yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool. But you know what? It's it's a matter of remembering guys that are. We have 3,743 players that are on that, right. that blood, sweat, and tears. Right. And we have a responsibility as keepers of the cup. My designation is very specifically to make sure that these guys are honored and never forgotten. Awesome. And I want to ask you, Jeff, how does one get this job be keeper of the Great Cup? How does that even happen? You know, it's quite a fraternity. The executive director, Mark DeNoble, uh, his father played against my dad, <laughs> and. It just it cascaded into something that was pretty cool that everyone wanted to be a part of, helping out the league and helping out the Hall of Fame. And so I ended up helping out the Hall. And of course, when you become when you fall in love with this game, you fall in love with the league, the Hall, and 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 every member that's involved in it. Um, so my position is, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we are we're all taken care of, and and uh, the boys are never remember are never forgotten. We always remember. So we look at your your CFL roots, and you know, run pretty deep, and your your dad played in the CFL. I mean. So what does this league, uh, not only just a keeper of the cup, but what does this league mean to you and your family and to be able to, you know, I guess, carry on a legacy? It, it, you know, that, that I, we carried on, like we had season tickets together, my dad and I, um, you know, we, and I was rocked on this. I was weaned on this, uh, this great, great game. So going to Winnipeg Stadium and coming into Commonwealth or any stadium in the country. Uh, then when, when my dad passed away, I had a real tough time with that. And when I was commissioned, it was uh, it was a good therapy for me because I connect with my dad every single time the cup is unveiled. So when you look down the backbone of that great plaque, the placards of of, uh, of history of 1909 to right. Dateline 2017, every single time that I have that unveiled, my dad is always with me. Jeff, as keeper of the Great Cup, the Great Cup does over 100 events a year. And what does it mean to take the Great Cup to sort of smaller towns? Oh, and small towns are the best. Man, hitting that thing. <laughs> because there's a reverence. To this is not a carnival act. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like I said, every every Canadian has an opportunity for this. We're page 28 of our passport, um, so you can see how how serious it is for Canadians. So going into this into cities that may not have the opportunity as much as our major uh, CFL cities, it's great to go into the into the backwoods, if you want to call it that, and 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 see the they light it up. What? So they're like the the you know when you especially here in Edmonton when you see the Northern Lights. Yeah. Mm. To me, that's the outskirts. So those are those are the, the non-CFL cities that love this game too. Right. Yeah. So it gives you a chance to to not only reach the major cities, but to to I guess spread the, the love of the game to those small cities. Absolutely. There's right. constitutions in these guys. In 1942, we look at the guys that have lost their lives and give us the freedoms for us to do like what you and I are doing today. Right. You know, this right. could have been entirely different yeah. if it wasn't for the the constitution of guys that actually fought in the 1942 uh, and they battled in 42 for the the Great Cup. But then they were deployed in 
and went to Europe and, uh, and they lost their lives. So we have a responsibility as trustees and keepers of the cup to make sure that we don't forget what those guys did on the field, but what they did outside and uh, in the battlefield and, and for the honor of our great country of Canada. Absolutely, of course, you know, see with the Great Cup, you know, whenever the Great Cup goes to events or games, people, what does it mean to see people light up? You know, people who are old and young light up and see, but we can see the reaction of people seeing the Great Cup, because people love seeing this trophy, no matter where it is, no matter what age you are in the world. You know, we bookend from, you know, from infants to a 93-year-old, a 100-year-old. Wow. Uh, we bookend that, and, and it's also bookended with joy, and it's also bookended with tears, you know. And I see both of them. Yeah, you know, I've experienced both of them. So, I mean, let, let's talk about for a minute, because the CFL base are the major city stop in, in, you know, in, in Montreal. What, what would it mean for the CFL to expand even further? So, could we see a team in Newfoundland eventually? Could we, you know, you know do, you, do you see it? You, you, spoke to the, you spoke to the commissioner. Yeah. And you heard the commissioner talk. Right. Um, his mandate is, is something that I think all Canadians and all, all uh, CFL lovers want to see. They want to see it expand and go mer de mer, our coat of arms, ocean to ocean. And I think it's right. Um, for me, as a fan with a cool job, mm. is I want to see that happen. Um, could I tell you from, a, from an administration standpoint? No, I can just want and hope and, and dream that it's going to happen. Let's look ahead to the Great Cup and the day of the Great Cup and being in this great city of Edmonton. And, you know, like... You, you see, and you see the commissioner talk about it, the people just come together, and and the the joy and all, all the and celebration. What, what does it mean to, for for a city like I've been to the whole Secret Cup? Do we do do some people take that for granted and oh, no. it's not the Stanley Cup or no it's no it's, no. What you heard from the commissioner, the people's commissioner, mm -hmm. um, he's a firecracker that's yelling light me, light me. You know that <laughs> right. he's he, he's got more energy and he's got more passion than anybody. Right. Um, Coming into Edmonton, Edmonton's been the cornerstone of so many things. They were the first East-West rivalry in 1921. That's right. We yeah. cascade into, uh, in 1951, the transition year of 52. We went from base to base. That was chapter one. Chapter two, 52 to 86. Again, who, who hoisted the first group? As you see it today, as, right. a, as our, uh, our great, great cup today with Doug Mitchell's signature on it by putting all the names of the players on it. 1987 was Hector Poitier, Edmonton Eskimo. We can, we we are fast forwarding again to 2018. Though uh, you know the Grey Cup is there's no more room in the inn, and everyone will have to stay tuned to see what's going to happen. In Canada, we're very much about hockey, hockey, hockey. So how big is it to see that the football roots have been maintained in the cities like Edmonton, like Montreal, like BC, and like Calgary? Eskimos, Oilers, doesn't matter. Montreal Canadiens and Alouettes, and you can go to BC and, and Vancouver Canucks. Doesn't matter where you are. This, this country is a, a love of all sports. Mm, yeah. the, the interesting part of the, the Grey Cup, a lot of the early uh, athletic associations were hockey clubs anyways. That's rowing true. clubs, football clubs, tennis clubs, rowing clubs. Like the Argonauts and, were. Exactly, and that's what it was. it was. It was an association, an athletic association. So we've maintained that route because we've had four guys that are on the Grey Cup that are on the Stanley Cup. We've got Lionel Conacher, Carl Voss, Normie Kwong, and Wayne Gretzky. So one way or the other, we're connected. You know, Anna Stukas, the guy that signed Bobby Hall. He was a, he's a he's a Grey Cup champion. His brothers in 1938. Three Stukases on one plate. Okay, and then we and he's the one who signs Bobby Hall from the National Hockey League to WHA. So there's a lot of hockey and football. It's just a matter of love in this country and just where you want to play. Jerry James played for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, mm -hmm. four-time 
four-time Grey Cup champion with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I'd be remiss not to talk and, and bring up you know, Johnny Johnny Menzel uh, coming <laughs> to the CFL. And what, for you, I mean, obviously you're, you're obviously a fan and, and the keeper as well. But what, what is what does it mean for Johnny Menzel to come to the CFL? Do you see him being successful? Do you see his NFL game or his college game? transitioning and, and turning into a good CFL quarterback? Or what does sure. this mean to the CFL? What it means to the CFL allows a guy a second chance. Um, as long as he walks in and feels what's coming under that, off that great cup, the reverence of the people that came before him, the men that came, came before him, right. as long as he respects that, and I, I think that uh, we're going we're gonna to see some entertainment. Jeff, you're sitting down here with two hosts who are in their 20s. We're both 25 years old. And... Canadian football is kind of losing its grip on the younger audiences to the NFL. And how important is it to kind of make sure the CFL keeps its grip on the younger audiences? Because I'm a big CFL guy. I've been a lifelong CFL guy. My neighbor is Gizmo Williams. I mean, that's really important in my mind that the younger audience maintains a love for the CFL. we got great leadership. I'll mm-hmm. say this much. Our leadership with, with Commissioner Ambrosi, you heard his passion. Mm-hmm. He's for real. He's in the street. He's in the And he's in the boardroom. I can tell you that with leadership like that, we we are going to head in the right direction. Well, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Uh, we appreciate the time. Hey, the great cup, and we'll you're see a brother, you. man. Thank you. <laughs> okay. We'll see you.